Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with entrepreneur and coach Bobby Kaler. She has been an entrepreneur for more than 20 years and coached upwards of 3,000 people along with delivering presentations for tens of thousands of people. She helps people to see new possibilities for themselves and for their lives. Her undergrad degree was in human performance improvement, and her graduate degree was based on the science of human flourishing. She has appeared in articles for Forbes, The Today Show, Yahoo News, Thrive Global, and so many others. She's got a great story. Enjoy this interview. Hey there, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you today? Good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Sorry, I just got the link. Oh, you're fine. I the, the the weird thing about this Podmatch community is that there's people that check email, other people check the portal, and if I don't hit both, and you know how time works, it's like you're you're trying to juggle, and sometimes you just have too much going on. That's right. I totally understand. So I got on as soon as I could. We're here. We're here. It's all good. No worries. Where are you located? I am in Arkansas today. Okay. Cool. Today. Yeah, we split our our time between our home here in Arkansas and the one we have in Colorado. Okay. Yeah, I just took a vacation to Colorado. I went to uh, Castle Rock this summer for a week. Nice. Between Manitou Springs and Castle Rock. So it was nice. I like it. Oh, I love it. I, I, in 2019 in July, I got married and we were going to go to New Orleans and a a hurricane was brewing. So we had to totally reroute everything. So we went oh to Manitou God. Springs. We got a really great bed and breakfast, the Blue Sky Inn, and we went back to it. And so it's been four years later. Pandemic's over. Everything's a little different. So it's just, it's always good to go to Colorado. Yeah, it's beautiful, especially in the summer. Yeah. You really can't beat it. Yeah. I mean, when, you, where, when you're I'm landlocked sorry. in Kansas City, you don't see much. <laughs> no. So that's where you're from, Kansas City? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I love Kansas City. People do. It's just, it's one of those places where, you know, it's not high on everybody's radar, but whenever people say, well, I was there and had a great time. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's a surprising place because they don't think of us as an arts culture, a place that incubates a lot of good things that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you know where Joplin, Missouri is? Oh, yeah. I used to live a little bit south of Joplin. Okay. So as a kid, well, not as a kid, like when I was 18, 19, 20, I used to drive up to, you know, watch the Royals. And yeah. I just always, I always loved, I always loved the town. Yeah. There's so many connections to Kansas City. One of my favorite musicians who lives in LA, his name's Jason Faulkner. Uh, I, I got to interview him years ago and he was like, yeah, I used to spend my summers in Joplin. I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? And it's like, there's just all these little vignettes of people that have these attachments to Kansas City yeah. and likewise, you know, so it's cool. It's a, what's well, it's such a nice town. Yeah. You know, the people are nice. At least that's, that was always my, my experience with it. It, it's, it is. I actually worked with my son this winter at Harvesters at Food Bank. And there was an older guy there that uh, was a grandparent, and he lived in L.A., and he was like, I just can't get over how nice you guys are, you know? Because yeah. people on the coast are like, you know, everything's impersonal and fast, and no one talks to each other. But you come, yeah. to, I'm sure, same thing in Arkansas. You come to the Midwest, and everybody's like, what's up? How you doing? What's going on? And you throw people off from the coast because they're like, wait, you're talking to me? <laughs> right. So. They don't expect it because we're in northwest Arkansas, so we're only like... 10, 15 miles from the Missouri border. Okay. You know, so we're right in the Ozarks. So it's, you know, fabulous mountain biking. Although I'm not a mountain biker, I like road cycling, yeah. but it's very friendly. It's yeah. very, very friendly. Same yeah. thing, you know. Absolutely. 
I think people from the coast, they're, you know, they, they just think the whole middle of the country is just fly over. Yeah, pretty and much. It's like, yeah, you're missing out. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, whenever they have a World Series, everybody wants the coasts. That's yeah. the big deal. And when you get the Midwest, everybody's like, yeah, I'm okay. But sometimes some of the best things, you know, come from yeah. here. So, yeah. Absolutely. But it's great to meet you. And I'd like to kick everything off with asking you how you survived COVID. The last three years was quite an ordeal. How did you get through it? And how has it changed you now that we're entering kind of this <clears throat> post-pandemic era of our lives? You know, when when COVID hit, we were living full-time in Grand Lake, Colorado. And I don't know if you're familiar with Grand Lake. It's right outside Rocky Mountain National Park. It's about 9,000 feet. Okay. Only 10% of the people who have homes there live there full-time. Okay. So, we, and we were there because we love the cross-country skiing, because we live about two minutes from a Nordic center. And we love the hiking, the snowshoeing, the biking. So... It was very interesting because I always traveled for work. So a couple of things happened. Number one, I'd say is our day-to-day, it wasn't like we were in a city where we had to be on lockdown. We didn't see anybody anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that that really helped. Yeah. And the second thing is, like, because I did all my facilitation in person before, and very quickly, because at first it's like, well, how long is this going to last? And then it's like, this is lasting a while. So I had to very quickly say, how do I turn? We had like a loft area in our, basically it's a really nice cabin. Um, how do I turn that into a studio so I can do this stuff virtually? And how do I learn those skills? Yeah. So those, those were really the two big things. And then we, we really relied on staying active outside. Cause I think if you're active, that helps so much. It, it does. Yeah. yeah. Even with us, Kansas City is very sprawling. You could drive to yeah. nature centers and get out on the road. That's huge. Just to see that the world was still acting and operating as if we always knew it. Yeah. You know? Like I had a friend in Denver and she lives, uh, she lives in a high rise. That's a condo. Um, probably a mid rise is more technically correct, but she was afraid to go out in her hallway. Wow. Like, people were afraid to get in the elevator together. I can't imagine going through it like that. Yeah. And I, and, and, I, I have a jazz radio show, so I interviewed a lot of musicians, really amped it up during that time. So mm-hmm. a lot of the people that were in like Brooklyn and New York proper, like, yeah. you know, they're, they're musicians and you can only play a, 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 an instrument so long before the neighbors start pounding on the walls. And <laughs> then they, right, exactly. And then they can't go anywhere. And it doesn't matter how good it sounds. It could be Vivaldi. They're just probably tired of it. They're like, you know, they, they want to listen right. to the Netflix, but. Cause yeah. they're stuck too. What's that? The neighbors are stuck too. Yeah, I know everybody. Yeah. You know, they can't and, get away. And that's when they were saying, that's when people were snitching on each other, like, you know, calling people in for not having masks on. There was some stuff going on that was pretty nefarious for a while. And it was like uh, the ultimate Orwellian police state. It's like, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. but let, let's get, let's get to your life and your mission <laughs> and your essence and to start that off. I want to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day. Oh, no. Uh-oh. You're cruel, Joe. We're going there. <laughs> we can even go to fifth grade if it'll help. No, so, that's okay. Let's stay with third. <laughs> so one of the kids looks up and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? I would say that at the core of what I do is I help people become their best and believe in themselves that they can be their best. So. What did you want to be in the third grade? 
Hmm. Probably I wanted to be a baseball player when I was in the third grade. Um, but you know what? Here's the thing. When I, even when I was in the third grade, because I grew up with really bad speech problems, but I was an accelerated student. We didn't have, you know, any of those programs back then. But like when I was in the first grade, I was all the way through like the fourth grade math book. I just learning came very easy to me. Speaking, not so much. Um, so I was always that kid because I was ahead. The teachers would have me paired up with other people who might be struggling and they'd say, Hey, can you help so-and-so with, you know, these math problems or with this or that? And so that was always something I loved doing even back then. Yeah. And I, so I think that was just, but I come from a long line of teachers. My okay. grandmothers were both teachers. I had aunts who were teachers, uncles who were teachers. My little sister's a teacher. And so I don't teach. I'm not a teacher in a school system, but I've always thought that's what I do. It's adult education. I'm helping adults, you know, learn what they need to learn next, basically. That, that teaching is just kind of a part of your double helix. It is. Yeah. It is. So let's go back to your childhood. Where were you born and raised? And what were some more specific seeds that were put into you to help other people get to where they want to be? Okay. So I grew up, oh my God, very small town in Illinois. Custer Park, Illinois. It is so small, Joe. It is not on most state maps. Oh, wow. (laughs) Most people who live in Illinois, they don't even know where it is. Wow. Tiny, tiny farming village. Um, I think we had about 47 people in the town. Uh, no, we didn't even have a stoplight. We were that small. Wow. Um, so, but, but that's a community where it was kind of idyllic in a way because everybody knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and like if I was out riding my bike and I got into mischief, which I was a good kid, but I was a little too spunky for my own good sometimes. <laughs> but I knew that any adult in town would have no problem picking up the phone and calling my mom and saying, Kathy. he's doing X, you know, Uh so that it was very much a community mentality. So that was number one. But a very specific seed for me was when I was uh, six years old, the the little school that I attended, they notified my parents are like, we're bringing in a speech pathologist for Bobby because she can't talk. And I thought, well, that's a waste of time. (laughs) I know I can't talk. (laughs) Tell me something I, I don't know. But I had to meet with him. So I had the, the, the evaluation. And at the end of that, he called my mom. And I had made it home from school by that point. We're in the kitchen. Phone rings. My mom answers the phone. And the speech pathologist told mom that in his expert opinion, I would never speak correctly, that I would suffer a lifelong disability, and that I had catastrophic speech problems. Wow. And my mom told me that. And then I think at that point, she's like, oh, my God, you, you don't tell a six-year-old this. Right. <laughs> that's, that's heavy. And so she crossed the room to where I was standing. She hugged me and she whispered in my ear. She's like, we're not going to listen to him mm-hmm. because you never let someone else tell you what you can or cannot do. Yeah. That was profound. Yeah. I mean, that. and here's the thing. It's not like she just said, hey, I believe in you. She worked with me every step of the way for years. Yep. She worked with me. So th- there's no doubt that that's one, of, that's, that's one of the big seeds. Another one came when I was in eighth grade, but that's one of the biggest right there. You know, it's interesting. My son's on the autism spectrum, and he didn't speak for a long time. So I he, didn't either. So he did sign language and approximations and all of that. And I literally, we used to have a speech therapist come in the house. And I remember one day I pulled her aside, and I was just, you know, just as a parent, you're just like, 
what's going to happen? What's the future? And I just said, will you please tell me right now? And I don't care what you tell me. Is he going to talk? And she yeah. was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I didn't believe her. And we mm-hmm. just kept going and going and words would get introduced. Now he's 18. I just took him to his job. He doesn't stop talking. He gets to everybody and he's asking all kinds of questions. He loves people. He's actually at an amusement park here, Worlds of Fun, and he scans people into the park. And they're doing it because he loves the park and talks to people. So you talk about kind of just like what you're saying, a tsunami of change that humans can do. And that's huge. Yeah, it's massive. You know, and mom always said that, too, about me. I didn't even really try to start talking. I'm the third. Okay. So there are two older kids and I don't know. I just, I was one of those kids. I'd rather listen than, than talk. And that's, so when I started to try to talk, I think I was just behind and I didn't necessarily hear. um, I didn't necessarily hear all the sounds correctly. Yeah. And uh, so like my mom, she'd have to really, for me to get different um, sounds, she would be very intentional with how she, like the way that she would work her mouth so I could see how it was said. And that's, that's how I learned a lot. But, and then she always said, and then she's like, yeah, once you start, start started talking, no, <laughs> stop. That's it. But like, that's, Hey, I had some time to make up for. <laughs> absolutely. But that's pretty brilliant. I think for you to be listening, I've learned the mm-hmm. older I've gotten, the less I say, I'd rather hear it and mull over it because I think a lot of people are really knee jerk or we feel like we have to say something when we don't. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to let that percolate. Yeah. And I heard this years ago. It's like only speak when it improves the silence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? There's a lot that doesn't. Plus, the other thing, I've had enough of those group projects like in school and stuff where I find if I sit back and I listen to what everyone else is saying, I'm the person that can say, oh, I see all these threads. This is how we can tie it all together or this is how we can build you know, on, on what's being said. I'm much better in that role. Yeah. Not that I don't have my own ideas because I do, but I think that's a strength of mine on a group yeah. project to sit back in, in that space and be comfortable with it. Yeah. Speaking of strength, who's been a hero for you in your life that's given you strength? Hmm. Personal or famous or both? Anything that really fueled you that made you better? Hmm. I would say, well, clearly my mom with how she helped me. Um, I don't know. I've studied, I've, I've watched so many different people. Um, God, I would say I've had some teachers. I would say that were heroes. Um, probably one of them that comes to mind would be Mr. Jordan. He was my, uh, when I when I was in the eighth grade, I decided that because I was so afraid to talk, I wanted to take a speech class in high school, like, you know, a public speaking class. And he happened to be my teacher. And as luck would have it, he was also the uh, coach for the speech and debate team. And the school I went to had a really good speech and debate team. And I gave my very first presentation. And it was it was terrible. It was an absolute train wreck. <laughs> when the bell rang to dismiss class, Mr. Jordan said, hey, Bobby, can you stick around for a minute? And I'm like, oh, dear God, I've done so bad. He's going to kick me out of the class. But instead, he's like, would you have you ever considered joining speech and debate? And I said, did you not hear that presentation? (laughs) This was bad. And he just kind of smiled. And he's like, yeah, he goes, it wasn't very good. But he said, "Uh, you've got potential. And he said, with your potential and your work ethic and my coaching, you can become really successful. And I think 
he modeled something really important there for me. And that's huge when you have that one inspiration that says you can do it because we need to hear that, you mm-hmm. know, we do. especially at those younger ages. It's, it's really, really big. Yeah. What's, what's your ultimate motivator in life? What gets you up every day? What gets you to do the work that you do to help people? Believing that I can help other people that I can, because of my story, you know, surviving, uh, uh, what, you know, one doctor said, I only had like a 3% of having a full recovery. Um, and, and the experiences earlier in life, but believing that I can help people and believing that maybe other people can become, can find a little bit more hope through my story. Yeah. Because I think you said this when you first asked me about COVID, right? The last few years have been, it's been damn hard <laughs> for a lot of people. And, and a lot of people have lost hope. And I think that one of my core beliefs is that there's always, always, always a way forward. Yeah. And, and I think that we, we have to believe that otherwise we give up. And yeah. so that's, that's what keeps me going is I, I want more people to, to hear that and to know that and to believe it. Yeah, for sure. So of all of the, the vignettes that you've been involved with, with clients, what's your, what's one of your favorite stories, favorite success stories that puts a smile on your face? Yeah. So there is a, I don't want to use a real name. I'm going to call this person John because that's nice and undescript. <laughs> I worked with John and John was a, a very successful sales manager. And, but he had, at one point, he said, Hey, I've got kids and I've got a wife. Um, family life was, it was more of a struggle. And, and I think even worse than that, he was, in his own words, very miserable. Like even though he had success, he wasn't happy. He knew he wasn't, he wasn't showing up as the father he wanted to be and all that kind of stuff. And so we went through, we went through a program together and at the end of the time, it was a six or seven week program. And he's like, I feel like a kid again on the last day of school. You know, that joy you feel on the last day of school, like you're carefree again. And, and so, so that was amazing because he, he was happy again. And the other part of it was he's like, my kids now like spending time with me and he's my wife likes spending time with me again because he had worked on himself and he, you know, that's, that's exciting because who knows how far that ripples out. Yeah, for sure. What are you the proudest of beyond like your, you know, your personal life, but professionally, what have you done that you're the proudest of? Professionally or personally? Well, probably more in a professional sense. I think it'd be this things like that. Yeah. Um, there was, okay, here's a really good example. This was years ago. This was when I worked at a law firm actually. And I was, I did, a, I did the training and there was a gal that came again. I'm going to make up a name. Her name was Mary. And um, she was about 64 years old and she hadn't worked in two or three decades. Cause she had stayed home to raise her kids and her husband left her out of the blue. And when he left her, the last thing he said to her is, you can't survive on your own. And the HR director called me because she really wanted to hire Mary, but Mary had never even used a computer. And that's what I did. I One of the things I did is I trained on computers. And so the HR director said, can you train her? I said, I can train anyone who has a desire to learn. Yeah. And so I, we hired Mary sat down with Mary and she was in tears. She's like, Bobby, I'm so afraid my husband was right because I don't know how to use a computer. And I said, Mary, I will die trying, but you will learn how to use this computer. And together 
we will prove him wrong. And we did. And, you know, she, she became very competent, never a superstar, but very, very competent with it. And that's one of those things to, 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 to sit with her in that moment where she thought, I can't survive yeah. and he's going to be right and say, no, we'll prove him wrong together. That's, that's still one of the things that warms my heart. Tiny little thing, but it was yeah. big. You know, what's interesting. You said a willingness to learn. I remember uh, my day job. I'm an IT guy for a school district. So I remember when I did the job and I walked in, it was the most unique interview I was ever in. I walk in this room and the woman in HR was really small. She just was kind of waving me in. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, let's go in. And there's like 15, 16 people in this big, huge you. And I sit down. I'm like, wow. Oh so we goodness. start going and it's administrators, principals, big people in the district. And we're going around and my hopefully would have been boss at that point got to him, the IT director, and he said, I have two criteria that I'm looking for, a good attitude and a willingness to learn. And I never forgot that. And mm-hmm. for all of the technical things that go into IT, that was his backbone. I ended up getting the job that day. I'd been there since 05. And I always remember how big that was for me to have that yeah. level of confidence. And it just set me on the path. And I, I always remember that. Yeah. It's those little things that you can do and instill in people um, it's just like with the way Yoke, the way John Lennon fell in love with Yoko Ono, Yoko had an art installment in London and there was a ladder and it went up to a painting that was like all yellow and there was a magnifying glass hanging down from a string and you climb the ladder and you took the magnifying glass and you looked and in the center, the word yes was there and you could pull that magnifying glass out and he fell mm-hmm. in love with her. That was the moment. So wow. That, yeah. Isn't that wild? That but is, it's, but it's, it's like that. And, and being kind of a music journalist, like John Coltrane has always said his favorite word is yes. Yeah. You know, and it's those little things. I didn't mean to get off on a tangent, but it's no. just, that, it's that logic model that if you give people the idea that you can do anything, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're David Blaine and levitating or going underwater for two weeks, or you're just somebody that is learning how to do something because you had a horrible traumatic situation happen in your life. We all have to build each other up somehow. That's right. And to believe that, yes, because yes is all about possibility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It yeah. is possible. We, and here, here's something I think, too. I think a lot of times we confuse, well, I don't have the answer, but there is no answer. Right. No, those are two separate things. Sure. That's someone true. else has the answer. I can guarantee you that someone has the answer. The answer somebody, is somewhere. Yeah. Which is a sure. form of yes. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Hmm. I am. I'm very, very loyal. I'm very committed. I. I have a very. I lead with my heart. You know, good and bad <laughs> at times, but but very much so. I get that. If anybody wants to learn more about you, hire you, anything pertaining to your world, where can they go? Um, best place is my website, which is just bobbykaler.com. Do you want me to spell that? No, I I'll put it in the show notes. Perfect. I'm just glad that I got the pronunciation down. It killed two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah. They can go there. They can learn about my podcast there. I've got a newsletter, got a free five day email course. If anybody's interested on all this, you know, stuff about, you know, well being, happiness and success, but that's the best place. 
Before we get out the door here, if you could witness any event in human history with your own eyes, what would you love to have seen? The Gettysburg Address. Good answer. Excellent. Uh, you're you're punctual. You're on it. You're like usually there's a lot of <laughs> contemplation. You just you're 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 in there. You know who you are and and where you're going. So, Bobby, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking a minute out, giving us your story, and best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. It was a joy. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Hey.